Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we turn to your word now. We pray that you will guide us, that you will use your word to guide us to the truth, that you will sustain us by the power of your spirit through the feeding of our soul. We pray that you will give us more and more of your steadfast love, that you'll fill us, Father, that it it will be abundant in our lives that the gospel will advance upward and then outward to the lives of others. Father, we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for other churches in our area, every other Christ-centered, gospel-proclaiming church in our area. We pray, Father, that you'll feed your people through the preaching of your word this morning. Father, we lift up Covenant Community Church. We pray that you will sustain them, that you will give Pastor Tom the ability this morning to not only preach your word according to how you have given it, Father, but he'll preach it in a way that brings life through the working of your spirit, that it will feed the flock, Father, there at Covenant Community Church. Father, we pray for Grace Church in Buchanan, West Virginia. We pray as they seek a full-time pastor that you will give them a shepherd who is hungry for your word and has a, a humble heart to serve your people. A man who will put others above himself. A man who will be relentless in the preaching of your word. Father, we pray for the International Mission Board, as brothers and sisters have answered the call to go, that you will sustain them as they are away from family and and friends and all that's familiar here. Father, may they rest knowing that their home is not America. Their home is wherever you are. Father, may you strengthen them through your word. May you Bless their ministries, Father, and may they be fruitful as you advance the gospel. Father, we pray for the Arab Yemeni of Saudi Arabia, Father, another unreached people group, another group of people who need to hear the truth of the gospel. Father, they were created to glorify you and to enjoy you, Father, and they have been trapped in the false religion of Islam. They believe that they have the ability to work their way into heaven and all they're doing is taking more and more steps further away from you. Father, turn them around. Open their eyes and may they see Jesus, not just as a prophet, not just as a man, but as the eternal Son of God who came to save sinners. Father, may you save that precious people. May you grow churches among that people and raise up brothers who will preach your word no matter the cost. And Father, may we one day worship with Yemeni Arabs on our left and on our right as we stand before your throne. May you be glorified. Father, we pray for those who were not able to make it this morning. Sustain them, Father. I pray that you'll draw them to your word and you will sustain them until they can gather with us again. Be with us now. Help me not to to speak in error, but 
By the power of your name, may you be honored today. May we be filled. It's in your name. Amen. Several weeks ago, a well-known televangelist visited a church in our area. Millions of people watch this televangelist on a weekly basis. His show is aired multiple times throughout the week. The same number of people have bought his books over the years. Right now, he's on a tour promoting his newest book. Thousands in our area attended this event in Fredericksburg. Some had even reserved their seats days in advance. It was so packed that people suggest that next time he comes, that the church reserve the expo center in Fredericksburg. This happened just a few minutes away from us. It's just a few minutes we go to Fredericksburg. One attendee of the event said this, and I'm quoting her. She felt inspired by the message that relied more on positive thinking techniques and self-esteem building skills than biblical passages. The main takeaway from his books is that your life follows your thoughts. This guy, this televangelist, uses Bible passages to guard thoughts against negativity. This guy is a charlatan. This guy is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is, by the definition in Scripture, a false teacher. And his name is Joel Osteen. He calls himself a pastor. But what he really is, is a life coach that focuses on this temporary life. He's all about life improvement, not shepherding people. He's about self-empowerment, focusing on yourself, bettering yourself, living for yourself, completely counter to the message of Scripture. A quick Google search of his name brings up another false teacher named Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley's most recent controversy is saying that Christians, the church, doesn't need the Old Testament anymore. Never mind that the Old Testament tells us why we need the Messiah, why the Christ needed to come. Never mind that the Old Testament helps us to understand the New Testament. Never mind the New Testament authors quote Old Testament scripture. They obviously thought that the Old Testament is important enough to remember and to know. These two are just a a sample of the false teachings that are out there today. In our community, all around us, people are taking in this false teaching. People are listening to this junk. They are buying it. They're taking it in thinking that it's going to help them in some way. These people, they're they're looking for for answers. They want to know their life purpose. They're starving for truth. It's kind of like them 
being given cake with poison. When they listen to these false teachers, it's like them being given cake that has poison in it. It tastes really good when you eat it, but it kills you from the inside out. These false teachers are giving poison to people. They feed them what seems to be good, but it's murdering them. Prosperity gospel teachers, the word of faith movement, all who spout, name it, and claim it, the power of positive confession have taken Scripture and they've reduced it to slogans that build up a person's ego and that create narcissistic self-importance. Here's a clear way you can recognize a false teacher. False teachings always begin by attacking the authority of Scripture. False teachings always begin with attacking the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. That's nothing new. It started way back in the garden when Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Is what God says really true? Do you really need God's words? You see, looks, styles, teachers, they change with the times. But false teaching always seeks to demean and to dismiss God's word. Always. And when that happens, Jesus becomes a stagehand in the drama of your life. He becomes a prop, a means of empowering you in this life. You end up taking center stage, and he's off to the side somewhere until you call him for help, until you call him on stage. The one who is life becomes an addition to your life. How deceived these people are. Now, in case you're wondering, why am I calling these false teachers out? Why am I calling these men out? It's because that's part of my role as a pastor. I would not be doing my role as a pastor, as a shepherd, if I did not call out the false teachings. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Scripture's talking to me. Pay careful attention to myself and to all the flock, to all of you, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Then in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Just because someone calls themselves a pastor doesn't make them a shepherd of God's people. We're told that people will rise up and say that they're part of the church, but their goal is to draw people away from the gospel. They will pull them away from the real Jesus. Peter tells us the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 
But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. False teachings are out there. False teachers are real. False teachers can rise up from within the church and can lead you away from Jesus. We have to be diligent. I have, for your sake, I have to call these men out. For you to know the truth. We have to weigh everything against Scripture. And we look only to the Jesus of the Bible who was promised in the Old Testament and who fulfilled the promise in the New Testament. Christians have always battled false teachings. This is, this is nothing new. You'll remember the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians because false teachers had maneuvered their way into the church like snakes slithering Toward their prey. They were telling the Colossians that the Jesus Paul preached and who Epaphras brought to them wasn't enough. That the Colossians needed to add certain rituals and more beliefs to their faith. Now we know that the enemy is not going to let up. We know that false teachings are going to come. You will continue to be confronted time and time again with false teachings that will undermine the Bible and reduce Jesus to someone who's less than what the Bible says. So knowing that confronting false teaching is part of the Christian life, what do we do about it? How do we handle the constant barrage of distorted doctrine? Well, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote a letter to the Colossians to help keep them centered on Christ and not be sucked in to that false teaching. And while the letter was not written to us directly, it was written for us. We have the Bible, the authoritative, inerrant, written word of God given to us so that we will know the truth and be able to beat back the enemy. This is what Paul did for the Colossians. He wrote to them, telling them what a Christian is, how a Christian is to live, and now who it is we really follow. This is what I want to do for you this morning. Using Scripture, I want you to be strengthened for those spiritual battles that maybe you're in now. If not, they're coming. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, and spiritual forces of evil. I want you to be able to point out false teaching that comes from the enemy. But I want you to be able to not only point it out, I want you to be able to overcome it. I want you to be able to point out the false teachings to overcome it and then save others from it and win them to the gospel, to point them to the truth of the real Jesus. You see, what the Colossians were missing wasn't some extra spiritual ceremonies or some other new way of thinking about themselves or life. They didn't need to be more positive. 
What was missing was a true presence of Christ. What's missing in people's lives today is the true awareness and the glory, the awe of the glory of Christ. What needs to be stirred is an awakening to who Jesus is. What we need to come to grips with is the supreme worth of Jesus Christ because of who He is. How truly awesome He is. Do you know who Jesus truly is? Do you know who Jesus truly is? When we say that someone is someone, like that person is nice, what we mean is that that person does nice things. Or we say that person is a kind person. What we mean is that person, we've witnessed that person doing nice things, showing kindness towards someone else. They are displaying those kinds of traits. But when I ask you who Jesus is, I'm not asking you to know what he did. Most people in our community can tell you that Jesus died on the cross. I'm not asking that. The act of dying on the cross isn't the most significant part. Hear me. The act of dying on the cross is not the most significant part. Common criminals were put on crosses all the time in Jesus' day. When I ask you who Jesus is, I'm not asking if you know about his life or his ministry, the things he did, the miracles he performed. I'm not asking any of that when I ask you who Jesus is. When I say Jesus is something, what I mean is it's who he is. For instance, in the church, we have a saying, God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. God is good. God doesn't do good things. God is good. He defines goodness. Goodness emanates. It comes from Him. We know what goodness is because God is good. God uses a simple description of Himself when asked who He is. He says, I am. I am. But what does that mean? God is saying this about himself. I am glorious. I am awesome. I am the most important. I am life itself. And Jesus uses this description about himself in the gospel. I am. So do you know who Jesus is? It's important to know who died on the cross. It's important in order not to be swayed by false teachers that others are talking about or who are only a click away, who will tell you something else. You need to know who Jesus really is. And Paul gives us 14 earth-shattering, life-creating truths about Jesus in our passage. Our text is considered one of the greatest exaltations of Christ 
in all of Scripture. Verses 15 through 20 have come to be known as the great Christ hymn. You see, the best safeguard against false teaching is to know who Christ is. You won't find false teachers describing this Jesus. Because this Jesus, here in Colossians, in this scriptures, has supreme worth in his world where all of life centers around him. I'm going to list these truths out and then concentrate on the first half of our passage this morning. In verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Also in verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. He is first in order. He ranks first in creation. Verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Fourth, all things were created through him. Fifth, all things were created for him. Verse 17, he is before all things. And in verse 17, in him all things hold together. In verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. Number nine, he is the beginning. Number 10, he's the firstborn from the dead. Number 11, in everything, he is preeminent. In verse 19, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20, through himself, he reconciles all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And number 14, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. After this massive, glorious description of Jesus Christ, how can he be just a means to make you feel better about you? How can Jesus be a means for you to focus on you? Jesus is all of this, whether you're around or not. In verse 18, it says that in everything he might be preeminent. This is cosmic. This is worldwide. This is earth shattering. He is preeminent in everything. Of everything in the whole universe, Jesus has supremacy. He's the most important being, whoever was, whoever is, and whoever will be. He is preeminent. We are to give him preeminence. It's his by right because of simply of who he is. Not what he's done, who he is. And it's his alone because he's the only one who truly deserves it. And then when you add what he's done, what he's done for his people, all we can do is praise him and thank him. This is his. This is his life. This is his world. This is his gospel. You see, if Jesus is not preeminent in your life, then you do not have true faith because you don't know Jesus. This is what the false teachers get wrong in our day. Jesus is supreme. He is the sinner. He is the one who's elevated higher than everyone else. Now, the false teachers, they certainly talk about Jesus. 
but it's always in relation to you. It's always in what he does. And they end up talking more about you than they do about Jesus. Not one time in our passage has Paul talked about himself or the Colossians. Did you notice that? Not one time in verses 15 through 20 in this great Christ hymn does Paul talk about himself or the Colossians. The last time he did, he said, You are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints because God delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This includes all Christians. All Christians. We're brought into the kingdom because Christ redeems us. Even when we're mentioned, it's still all about Christ. It's still because of Christ. Verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. This doesn't mean that Jesus looks like God or that he resembles God somehow. He is the very image of God. This doesn't mean that he's like God or that he in some way reflects God. He is the very image. Jesus said in John 14, 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Our call to worship this morning in Hebrews 1, 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You look down in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. God dwelling among us. There's no doubt that Jesus claims to be, and the Bible says that Jesus is God. Jesus is the great I am. Now, why should we believe it? Well, we should believe it because God's word is true. There's no errors in it. God never lies, therefore, his words are true. What he's given us is true. You hold truth in your hands this morning if you're holding your Bible. If Jesus is God, then he is the true image bearer of God. And I'm not talking about what Jesus looked like. He's the true revelation of God. He's the one who has made the invisible become visible. All of us who bear the image of God, every single one of us bearing the image of God, that image has been marred by sin. Since Adam, we have all distorted images of the one who created us. Our likeness falls short of his glory. But Christ, the true man, has renewed that image. In the second half of John 14, we're told, We have seen his glory Glory is as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why would anyone, why would anyone want to focus on our image? An image that's polluted with sin, that's become corrupt. Why empower a fallen creature? 
Christ is the epitome of the very nature of God in all his glory. We're also told that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Don't let that confuse you. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that Christ was created. Every family with children has a firstborn, the child who's conceived first. That's not what it means here. Christ is first in rank of all creation. It echoes back to the time when the firstborn stood first in line to receive the inheritance. They were first. And that's what Scripture is saying of Jesus here. He ranks first. The psalmist in 89.27, Psalm 89.27, this is what God says. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the king's of the earth. Do you see the ranking? I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Christ has always existed. Now there was a false teacher in the first century, his name was Arius, that claimed Jesus was created. He was deemed a heretic. The Mormons and Jehovah's Witness today say that Jesus was created. I've already pointed out in John 1 1, Jesus, the Word, was with God and he was God. What does it say in verse 2? He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. If Jesus was created, how could he have been there in the beginning? On the sixth day of creation, what does God say? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is what Paul says in verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Jesus. Jesus has the power to create life out of nothing. This is important to understand. Jesus has power to create life out of nothing. This is why only those in Christ Jesus are those who have life. Jesus gives life. Jesus creates life. Jesus has the power to speak life. You and I don't. There are false teachers that tell you to to speak things and they will happen. That's a lie. You and I don't have that kind of power. Positive thinking will never compare to Jesus' life-creating words. We're created. He's not. The spiritual uh, beings, the spiritual beings that the false teachers were telling the Colossians to call on for help against evil spirits cannot help Christians. Jesus, the one who created all things, is the one to call on for help. He's the only one who has that kind of power. It's Christ who has supremacy. It's His to use as He sees fit. We don't tell Christ where or how or when to use His power. We receive life from Him and we're given the power to stand against the enemy only as it glorifies Him. Next, all things were created 
through him. This means he's the only one who did the creating. Christ stands at the beginning of it all. As the one through whom it all came into being, there stood Christ. He wasn't standing to the side watching the Father create. He was the one creating. It says the whole world was created by Him. It was created through Him and it was created for Him. See how everything centers on Christ? Everything's created by Him, through Him, and ultimately for Him. It's all about Christ. He is the one for whom all things are created. You exist to bring glory to Christ. Everyone exists. Whether they're Christian or not, everyone exists to glorify Christ. That's why we're told every knee one day will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It's because he's the master of all. Everything that is created has Jesus in mind. He is the goal of it all. Think of everything that's ever been created. Everything you can imagine. Every tangible thing you can hold in your hand or reach out and touch. Every person, regardless of their location or their stature or belief, every spiritual being, everything that's seen and unseen, it ultimately serves to bring glory to Christ. That means every false teacher will bring glory to Christ, not by their twisting, not by their reshaping of the truth, but by their destruction. Their teachings that have brought Christ down low will one day be used against them to show how high he really is. This means every person will bring glory to Christ, whether by him saving them or by him judging them. This also means that you and I serve the purposes of Christ. So how are you serving him? How are you using your time to bring him the praise that he deserves? No time that is used for Christ is wasted time. Only time that ignores him or belittles him or shames his name is foolish. Be about the purposes of Christ. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. His is the glory. This is all for him. Christ is truly before all things. Before creation, he is. Before anything else has any value or meaning, he is. That's why he says, I am. And in him, all things hold together. He sustains all things. He brings meaning to all things. He gives life. You exist. You are alive and breathing at this very moment because Christ allows you to and he makes it happen. He upholds the universe by the power of his word, as said in Hebrews. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. He didn't just create it and let it be and let it just function by itself. He is intimately involved with his creation. He has been from the beginning and he will forever be intimately involved.
Christ does not share this glory with anyone else. He does not give this power to sustain life to anyone else. There is nothing you can do to prolong your life. He determines the length of your days. He says when you're through. He raises men and he lowers them down. We are not. In other words, we are not on the same level as Jesus Christ. You and I are dependent on him for everything. And he gives as he sees fit. What is it that keeps this world going? What is it that makes the sun go up and down, the earth going around? It's Jesus. Jesus. In verses 15, 16, and 17, Christ is the only one, the only one who created the universe and upholds its existence. Everything was made. We're told everything was made, including you, to make Jesus preeminent, to show his preeminence. Let me correct that. To show his preeminence. He is the one who is supreme. He's the one who's worthy of following. And he's the one who qualifies us to be children of God. Jesus, the son of God's love. That's what it means. It says God's beloved son. The son of God's love is a king who's worthy of praise. Without him, we're told there's no grace. Without him, we're told there is no life worth living. Without him, there's only God dealing with us in our sin. His judgment upon us in all his full fury against sin. But with Christ, what are we told? With Christ, we're told we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. With Christ, we are redeemed. We are made new. We are given new life. We are free from guilt of sin to live for Him. Free from sin, but still His. His to do however He pleases, to do whatever He says. Do you see how damaging false teachers are? Do you see how destructive their teachings are? They claim to help, but they are the devil's workmen leading people toward hell. The real Jesus is this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is creator and sustainer and redeemer. So stay with Jesus and be kept by his power. Look to Jesus and give him preeminence. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look more closely at verses 18 through 20 where we're told Jesus is the way that peace is given to us and we are reconciled to God. Until then, know that since Christ is Lord of all creation, since he sustains all of life, since he is the focus and reason for the Christian life, all those who claim that he's anything else are leading you astray. Don't be deceived by smooth talking that kills Don't give in to temporary pleasures that turn you away from Christ. Live in the truth of who Jesus is and know that his preeminence is what you live for. Let's pray.